the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hi, and welcome to Folk Radio, your favorite podcast for all your favorite funky hits. This is your host, Peter. And this is your host, Kyle. Cool. So today, me and Peter thought it would be kind of fun to, since we both, uh, what was it, last Friday, we both went and saw the movie Django Unchained by Quentin Tarantino. That's right. It was basically a black exploitation western, which is pretty awesome. But we noticed that, similar to a lot of Tarantino's movies, there was a lot of really good third-party, non-original music in this movie. So we thought it'd be cool on our show to kind of go through and discuss some of the uh, other sort of funky and soul and R&B songs that Tarantino has used throughout his filmic career. That's right. So, good stuff. And he has a lot of famous films throughout his career, including Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and, of course, Django Unchained, which just came out a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're just going to basically go through his whole filmography chronologically i guess yeah his first film was his first feature film was uh filmed in 1992 and it's called reservoir dogs it's a pretty bizarre film it's got a lot of famous actors like steve buscemi and harvey Keitel, and it's just this bizarre sort of it's like a diamond heist or a bank heist i forget it's basically a bank heist gone wrong and everyone suspects each other of being uh like a rat of sort and there actually is one cop who is infiltrated and it's just a really bizarre but really well-written movie. Mm-hmm. Tarantino, even from his first film, is really famous for his uh, his writing because all of his films that he directs, he writes as well. He is like the most famous screenwriter in the fact that he writes extensive dialogue talking about nothing in general. Yeah, it's especially with his, with his earlier films like this. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of scenes, and even really long ones, where it's literally just ten minutes of them talking about stuff that has no relevance to the plot whatsoever yeah they're just having a regular conversation it's interesting but some people some people might find it kind of tiresome after a while yeah i mean i i I understand his logic of trying to use this like non-plot driven dialogue to flesh out the the uh characters and their personalities but at the same time it can yeah it can drag on a bit like in this particular movie there's like a 10 minute scene towards the beginning when they're in a restaurant and they talk for like 10 minutes about whether or not you should have to tip waitresses. <laughs> I mean, it's still interesting within itself, but then, yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it's, it's good. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, he makes boring movies, but. No, 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 no. His uh, movies are anything but boring. Right. But yeah, so in, in discussing Reservoir Dogs, a lot of good music in there, but one really good uh, song that I guess applies to funk and soul and R&B yeah. is the song I Gotcha by Joe Tex. A little fact about the song. Tex originally intended for the song to actually be recorded by King Floyd, but Floyd never really recorded it, so he just went ahead and recorded it himself in the late 60s, but it didn't actually even get released until 1972 as the B-side of his single A Mother's Prayer. The radio DJs liked I Gotcha so much better that it kind of became his first major hit in a long time, about five years, and it went on to sell about three million copies. Yeah, I, I like I like these stories where, you know, they, they put these songs as the B-side of a single they think is going to become more popular. And then in a twist of fate, the DJs at the radio stations end up playing the, the B-side and that becomes even more famous. It's kind of funny. It is. It's like songs that artists don't necessarily think will be as well received end up being more well received. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's listen to I Got You by Joe Tex. Boyfriend, I'd be the next 
catchy and unique song. Very his his voice and just his style is very reminiscent to me of uh, like Wilson Pickett. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have obviously nearly as many hits as Pickett did, but he's got a lot of good songs uh, of his own, and this is definitely one of his better, if not his best, I think. Yeah, well, th- this is the only song I know him for, I think. He did some other songs such as Sassy Sexy Wiggle and The Love You Save. I think mm. The Love You Save is his most famous. Oh, okay. That's funny. It turns out The Love You Save, that song... Mm-hmm. is on the soundtrack for Tarantino's later film, Death Proof. Oh, really? Yeah. The things you learn on funk radio. So apparently Tarantino... Yeah, right? So apparently Tarantino is a pretty big fan. Don't bite me, you cat. <laughs> I I have a cat sitting on my lap, and she just stood up and tried to bite me for no reason. Now she's sitting back down. <laughs> Hopefully we won't have any more uprisings by animals. Uprising by the animal population. Yes. So like we said, that that song was from... Tarantino's 1992 film Reservoir Dogs, and so three years later, he made possibly his most famous movie, Pulp Fiction, in 95. Actually, a song that um, is featured in that movie, is funny, is we, one we actually talked about last week, called uh, Son of a Feature Man by Dusty Springfield. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this song last week when we were discussing our favorite songs that helped lead us to funk and soul and our, our appreciation of the genre. And the, oh, is this the one where you said you saw, you saw Pulp Fiction when you were like eight or nine, and then it was way too early? For yeah, and it, scarred my scarred my childhood but when we talked about that isn't that what led us to this to this episode probably as you can see we think very far ahead about what episodes to do hey that we just stay current we always are ready to talk about the most relevant things but yeah son of a preacher man by dusty springfield is used in pulp fiction probably the most famous song off of that soundtrack we don't really have to listen to it because we listened to it last week and Unless this just happens to be the first episode you listen to of us, you've heard it before. Yeah, and if but, you, uh, if if you haven't heard it, go go check it out. It's actually a really good song. But since since we have so many other songs you want to talk about here, we just talked about that one last week. Uh, we're gonna actually skip over that one, but uh, it's a good song. But I will say, since we are discussing a bit of Tarantino, is uh, okay. Pulp Fiction is easily by far his most famous movie, mm-hmm. and has a really really awesome uh, many many awesome scenes actually by Mr. Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. That's true. What's funny um, is the next movie he did, which is uh, he filmed in 1997, is Jackie Brown. And despite that movie being really, really good, and I personally enjoyed it because of the ridiculous amount of success and acclaim he received for Pulp Fiction, he was like cursed in the aspect that no matter how good his next film was, it was going to be uh, Pulp Fiction. Because people were just comparing it to Pulp Fiction, didn't like exactly. it Exactly, and so this movie was kind of a, I wouldn't say a flop for him, but didn't do nearly as well critically, which is a shame. Well, Jackie Brown, I mean, that was basically an homage to black exploitation directly, right? Completely, yeah. Because I know, I know some of his movies kind of have elements of it. Yeah. Even Django Unchained isn't completely... I mean, it's kind of a mix of black exploitation and Western, I suppose, like you were saying before. But, I mean, I think Jackie Brown is probably the closest to straight-up black exploitation that you can get um, from his list of movies. Yeah, a little bit about, about Jackie Brown. It's an adaptation of, apparently, this guy, Elmore Leonard, Leonard's novel, Rum Punch, So, which in that novel pays homage to black exploitation films as well, mm-hmm. particularly the 1974 film Foxy Brown. Hence, mm-hmm. why the main character of the film, Jackie Brown, is Pam Greer, who played Foxy Brown in those black exploitation films of the 70s. Oh, so she was, okay. Okay, yeah, so she was Foxy Brown then. Because yes. I know that the name was familiar. Have you seen Foxy Brown? Yeah. 
Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah, I would say that's definitely one of the best black exploitation films I've seen. It was really good. Yeah, one of the best produced and written. Yeah, because, um, I mean, a lot of them, I think, have the reputation of being horribly low-budget and poor writing and action. I mean, just, you know, that's just what they were. Yeah. But, yeah, the film, along with Pam Greer, has a lot of famous actors. It's got uh, Robert De Niro, Samuel Jackson again, Bridget Fonda, and Michael Keaton. Probably of all the movies uh, that he's done... This one, obviously, because it's an homage to black exploitation, has the most funk and soul songs. Yeah. So, yeah, we have, like, what, like five or six listed? There's a whole bunch more, but we kind of have to put a cap on this, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, one of the first songs uh, that we wanted to talk about in the movie, because it's probably the most plot significant, is the song Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time by the Delphonics. The song Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time is a 1970 single by the Delphonics, produced by Tom Bell and released on the Bell record label. Uh, producing is considered actually one of the most notable early Philly soul singles to be released and is kind of regarded as like a classic of the genre. It's a really good so, song. This, probably, yeah, my, probably my favorite song by them. Yeah, this is, song was used in the plot and the fact that the main character, I think it was uh, De Niro, was talking about was talking to Pam Greer and, and mentioned a love of uh, the Delphonics, which offered some sort of connection between them. Mm. Peter, when was the song played in the movie? <laughs> It's been a number of years since I've seen Jackie Brown. Yeah, same peer. That's why I'm, like, struggling. We should totally have a tarantino with on sometime. That's true. I thought, I thought you were going to say we should definitely have a Tarantino on the show sometime. <laughs> I'm sure he would totally come on our show, because he has nothing I would be terrified. Do. I would just be in awe. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not worthy. I guarantee, without a shadow of a doubt, he probably knows more about funk and soul music than even we do. Oh, I'm sure. It's like an encyclopedia of all things pop culture. Should we go ahead and listen to a clip of Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time? Okay, so yeah, let's listen to a little clip of Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time by the Delphonics. So another song in this movie, Jackie Brown is a song called Across 110th Street by Bobby Womack. Now, some of you may know already that that was actually the theme song for a black exploitation film in 1972 called Across 110th Street. I would say that this is probably Bobby, Bobby Womack's uh, fam most famous song. Without a doubt. And they actually used this for the intro of Jackie Brown, like the intro titles. Mm -hmm. And I was actually watching that uh, intro sequence at the beginning. I didn't realize that it was a, an homage to The Graduate. Really? Yeah, because at the beginning of the graduate, you have him uh, standing on the the moving sidewalk in the in the airport, mm -hmm. and the camera just kind of like follows the person standing there as they're moving along mm -hmm. this moving sidewalk. And apparently, they do the exact same thing with Jackie Brown. Wow, because she's like an airplane stewardess or something. Yeah, so yeah, she's just standing there. I never made that connection. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's totally like Tarantino-esque, though. He probably, more than a lot of directors I can think of, uses his movies as homages to other films that he loves, either through the cinematography or the writing or the actors he even uses. Well, even, like, for example, with, like, Django Unchained, Django being one of the more famous westerns um, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. It was a sp uh, spaghetti western. The original Django Unchained was a spaghetti western. Right. Well, it was just called Django, wasn't it? I think, it, yeah, you're right. It was just called Django. But it's funny because in the, in the opening of Django Unchained, he uses the theme song from Django. Right, yeah. And I think he even has the, uh, at some point in the movie, he has the actor that played the original Django. It wasn't, uh, oh, really? it wasn't a black guy in the original movie. It was a spaghetti western, so it was an Italian guy. Right. 
Remember the scene where Leonardo DiCaprio's character and and the other rich guy are having the two guys fight? Yeah. That other guy, that's the main character from... Oh, really? Oh, see? Like we were saying, Tarantino really... even Whether it's more um, obvious or not, he really, really likes to throw things in that reference other movies, especially, yeah. especially the ones that influence him the most. Yeah, I can dig it. Well, let's go ahead and listen to a small clip of Across 110th Street by Bobby Woodman. What you do till you put on the pressure Across 110th Street is a hell of a test just the sound and like the lyrics of the song you can tell it's basically made for the the whole black exploitation era with um, talking about the ghetto and yeah it's basically uh, the point of the song of the original song is the concept of escaping the confines of the ghetto and making it on your own in a larger world but you have to like get across that you know that street the bad street and escape that sort of ethnic poverty enclave kind of thing well that's what most of those films ended up being about was basically someone trying to kind of get out of the whole game whether it be you know drugs or what have you or crime you know Uh i guess those are somewhat overlapping but you know it's it's a similar theme in a lot of them but yeah moving on so our episode isn't like three hours long because we do have a lot of songs um another song in the movie jackie brown that's used is strawberry letter 23 by the brothers johnson which is personally probably one of my favorite uh soul songs or i, I don't know what you really classify it as it's probably more funk yeah i, I would say so i'd say you're right but the song was originally a song by shuggy otis but george johnson was dating one of otis's cousins when he came across otis's version of the song so the brothers recorded it for their 1977 album right on time under the legendary producer quincy jones and the album went platinum yeah. now was this before or after they changed the the ruling for how many albums you have to sell for platinum because remember well, we that 77 so that was after i believe because i think, I think, yeah, they did it I think you said 76 didn't you no i thought it was 73 I we think did, we, we found out that they uh, changed it from what five hundred thousand to a million, something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. I actually completely forgot that this song was in. Yeah, this, this is a song that plays when uh, when Samuel L. Jackson's character kills some guy. I forgot who. <laughs> puts him in a trunk. <laughs> Just kills somebody. Yeah, he kills him, puts him in a trunk, and he in his car. That song is playing on the radio. Mm. So yeah, let's listen to a little clip of Strawberry Letter Twenty Three by the Brothers Johnson. Didn't you say like back in junior year of college that we, that someone needs to make a mashup between Strawberry Letter 23 by Brother, Brothers Johnson, Strawberry Fields by The Beatles, and Strawberry Swing by Coldplay? I tried and it failed. <laughs> if any of our listeners are better uh, mix artists than us, please feel free to take that idea and run with it. Yeah, good song by the brother. I I was actually I. Because I remember the Brothers Johnson used to be a lot more in my musical conscious, I guess, when I was discovering all this kind of music. Uh-huh. But until recently, I haven't really thought about them at all for probably a year or two. That's a shame. But it's a shame because, yeah, they have a lot of good songs. So they're definitely worth checking out if you don't know who they are. Strawberry Letter 23 is probably their most their most famous song. I could dig it. Well, let's see. So another song that's in Jackie Brown. So we're still in this one movie. It's kind of funny how many different songs are in this movie. Yeah. 
the ne- another one that we want to bring up is a song by Bill Withers, actually. And the song is Who Is He and What Is He to You? Uh, so he released this in 1972. And I actually read that he explained once that the co-writer, Stan McKinney, he sent the lyrics to this song to Bill Withers in the mail. And Bill Withers says he, he used to get like a gazillion things in the mail. And that's only the, one of the only things that he ever actually did something with. He said, if I don't see it, it doesn't occur to me, so I don't attempt to say it. So I think what he's saying there is, you know, I think people send him stuff all the time. And this is one of the ones that only really came through to him to actually make it into a song because it made sense to him. Because with other stuff, you know, if it doesn't make sense to him, why would he even try to... I thought he meant... I th- when you were first reading that off, I'm like, I thought he meant, like, he couldn't see the mail, like, he couldn't read it. <laughs> I can't find the mail. I can't find it. I don't... Where's my mailbox? But yeah, let's listen to a little clip of Who Is He and What Is He To You by Mr. Bill Withers. I don't know who he is, but I think that you do. That gum it does. So yeah, finally we have reached the last song that we're going to mention from Jackie Brown. The next song I'm going to mention is Street Life by Randy Crawford. Randy Crawford was an American jazz and R&B singer, but uh, she was probably more successful in Europe than she was in the United States. This particular song was released in 1979 and features the R&B group The Crusaders as backup. She stayed on the U.S. jazz chart for about 20 weeks and has since become both a rare groove and disco classic. She personally stayed on the chart. She just stood on it. (laughs) I've heard so many cases of this where like a disco-esque song will rise to the top of these charts and be there for like so long, for several months. But then right after that, they just kind of completely fall out of consciousness, and they're actually hard to find because they're so rare, even though they were really popular when they first came out. I guess it's more of a disco thing. Probably more of a disco thing, because we've discussed it in length, but disco is much more of a popular fad that kind of sweeped the nation very quickly, more than, say, soul or R&B. So these artists would pop up, have a popular song, and then just after that song fell into popularity, become a one-hit wonder, and then never do anything after that. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's as prime an example of that. It's just because of the social construct of disco and, and its short lifespan, I can see a lot of artists going through this sort of like quick rise to fame and then fall to obscurity. Yeah. Well, so. I know she, she actually did, uh, I can't think of any on the top of my head specifically, but I know she did do a few other um, songs that were pretty popular. But yeah, let's actually listen to a small clip of Street Life by Randy Crawford so you guys can get an idea of just how awesomely popular the song was. Like we were saying, these are probably the top more popular funk soul songs that were in Jackie Brown. Aside from more songs that were included in this movie on the soundtrack, there were also even more that were played in the movie that weren't included on the soundtrack. And I was really surprised how many other um, famous soul artists. Yeah. For example, there was Minnie Riperton, there was The Meters, there was The Supremes, and there were like six or seven songs by Roy Ayers, which uh, kind of surprised me. I want to know is how did he get the rights to all these songs? Good question. He's Quentin Tarantino. They probably, you know, because he was... Maybe he was like, hey, I made Pulp Fiction, which was really popular, and I'm making a new movie. Give me songs. Give me songs. And they're like, okay. We have finally moved past the juggernaut that is Jackie Brown. Jugger Brown. <laughs> that sounds bad. 
Joker Brown. <laughs> Joker Brown. His sequel to Jackie Brown, where Jackie Brown becomes a 50-foot woman and crushes San Francisco. That would be a really cool movie. That's what they need. They need to mix black exploitation and, like, cheesy 50s monster movies. That would be really cool, that actually. That would be the main character has to, like, lead a big fight against the monster and at the same time stick it to the man. The military would have their own contingency plan for dealing with the monster, but it's, like, ruthless. They're going to, like, nuke New York or something. So then the main character, that's the black guy, is like, I got to stop these crazy honkies from nuking New York. And then he, like, <laughs> single-handedly defeats the monster and stops the evil plot of the military. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, call us. Yeah. We have ideas for movies. Yeah. What's our next film? Our next film that actually was produced sometime after Jackie Brown in 2003 is Kill Bill Volume 1. So about, what, six years after Jackie Brown? This film doesn't have nearly as many, I guess, black exploitative influences because it was definitely much more kung fu. Kung fu slash western. Yeah, but... As we've seen and as we will see as we delve into Tarantino's movies, he is a master of, like, blending genres. Mm -hmm. But the one song that we did find on the first Kill Bill movie, because I'm sure many of you know there was two, is the song Run, Fay Run by Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes, for, I mean, uh, we've discussed him before, but uh, he's far and away most famous for his song, I think it's the Shaft. Yeah, the theme, the theme song from the black exploitation film Shaft. Yeah, yeah. And he went on to do, you know, his own career. He, he did black exploitation music for a lot of other movies. Was the chef on South Park. <laughs> you know, I've actually read because I did a lot of study on black exploitation in school. Black exploitation class? No. Well, film theory. I did a lot of. I did at least two papers, but maybe three. But I know Shaft was really considered, and this might be general knowledge, but um, I know Shaft was kind of considered an almost <laughs> white people's black exploitation movie. Just because it was so watered, the, like the message was so watered down compared to something like um, uh, like Sweet Sweetback or something, where it's very heavily the black man's struggle in a white man's world. Yeah. And Shaft was considered like a really watered down version of it, which is probably why it's the most popular. Probably because it's not as it's does it's not as heavy heading as the other ones, and probably was able to reach to a wider audience. Mm. But I found that kind of interesting because that's probably the most famous black exploitation movie and yet it, within that whole group it's probably i mean i know it was really significant and what i'm saying might be coming from people's opinions but uh, i think it's funny that it's kind of considered that way that is funny let's listen to a little clip of run Fay run by isaac hayes Good movie. I mean, not not as relevant to our particular subject, but probably one of my favorite uh, Tarantino movies, just because of how interesting the plot is and how much he really pulls from cheesy '70s and '80s kung fu movies, which mm-hmm. were ones that I always enjoyed, like Enter the Dragon. I mean, I know that's like the one that everyone loves, but like Enter the Dragon and stuff. A lot of those old Bruce Lee mm-hmm. and Jackie Chan films. Kill Bill Volume Two. We actually yeah, we couldn't find anything, anything, which is kind of sad, but I know. Whatever. I think we have enough other ones to talk about. You know why we couldn't find anything in Kill Bill 2? Because in Kill Bill 1, he kills the one assassin that's a black girl. So oh, yeah. She gets offed in the first movie, so in the second movie, there's no reason. Is there any black... Are there any black people in the second one? Not that I can remember, honestly, no. Hmm. I'm sure Samuel Jackson has, like, a cameo in there somewhere. Well, he's in... Is, is he in every one of Tarantino's movies? No, he wasn't Kill Bill. Actually, he wasn't in Death Proof, either. Yeah, that's true. 
I know he's in all the, the bigger ones, though. And he wasn't, in, pretty big. he wasn't in Inglorious Bastards. That's true. Well, Peter, <laughs> you're wrong. Some, he's in some of them. Speaking of Death Proof, that's actually the next movie that we're going to talk about. So this was actually a what they called a double feature with who made Robert Rodriguez did the other movie, The Planet Terror. That's right. And Quentin Tarantino did a movie called Death Proof. Fun fact, really quick. Go ahead. Regarding Planet Terror, because Robert Rodriguez uh, did that movie, Tarantino actually met up with Rodriguez because Rodriguez did the film, uh, vampire film, From Dust Till Dawn in the mid-90s, which starred uh, George Clooney and bit part by Quentin Tarantino. And I think Tarantino helped write it, but that's where they kind of met and became friends, and then yeah. years later decided to do, to do this double feature, which double features were uh, really famous during the 70s, during the era of drive-thrus where movies would be released in pairs or triplets that were lower budget to try to gain more audience, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think it had to start in the 50s, and it actually... Oh, I'm sure. Did it come back? In this? I think it came back in the... Yeah, I think you I right. remember learning about this, the whole, like, history of drive-in movies. It was actually pretty interesting how the way that drive-in movies, how its history went along and kind of went parallel to, like, U.S. history, and, like, you know, especially like, post-war and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how, how it went, but it was actually... A fairly interesting timeline. That's cool. The, okay, the one thing I didn't like about this movie, even though I won't go much into the plot, is that it took like two thirds of the movie to explain the character of the bad guy, mm-hmm. played by uh, oh that is... guy Kurt Walt Russell. Disney. He died. Thank yeah. you. You've heard that rumor before, right? That like Walt Disney uttered the name Kurt Russell before he died because Kurt Russell was on like the Mickey Mouse show or something. <laughs> Why would he mention his name? I don't know. <laughs> That's cool, I guess. Yeah, it's really random. But anyways... When you die, do you think you're going to say Kurt Russell? No, I'm going to say Rosebud and drop a snow globe. <laughs> Death Proof is... Kurt Russell plays a bad guy who has a stunt car. He's a stunt man. uses his stunt car to kill people because it's kind of fated to be pretty much indestructible. And at the end, he comes across these three women that he tries to kill, but turns out they're a bunch of badass women who aren't afraid of no man, and they have this epic car chase battle scene and they end up defeating him. It's kind of woman exploitation. Tarantino, if you notice, that's another theme of Tarantino's, especially with stuff like Kill Bill and Death Proof. He's very, uh, he's very into, and Jackie Brown, he's very into the concept of the female main character being uh, a powerful force. The empowerment of women. Exactly. exactly. That's kind of cool. Similar to black exploitation, I guess you can't really classify it as a genre, but like women's exploitation of women holding their own in a man's world. You could call it feminism, but it's kind of, that's, I don't know. I think that kind of has a negative connotation to it. Yeah, feminism has kind of unfortunately gotten a negative rap because it's associated with male hatred. Yeah. Getting to the actual song that we want to talk about, because we've been talking more about this movie than the song. One song that is played for a short period, I think on like a jukebox or something in in a bar in a scene, in the the movie is Staggily by Pacific Gas and Electric. That's actually a popular folk song based on the real-life murder of William Billy Lyons by a guy named Stagger Lee Shelton. And actually, a ton of songs have been written about this, like, I wouldn't say urban, but like folk. It's kind of like a folk tale. Exactly, folk tale. Since, uh, since it's, I guess, happening in 1924. No, actually, I don't mean to, inter- to go on a tangent again, but cool. did I ever tell you about... There's a podcast I listened to a year or two ago called Stuff from the B-Side by HowStuffWorks.com. It's actually a really cool podcast. It's still up if you want to go check it out. It's basically, they pick out really specific subjects 
for just music in general. One of their more famous episodes, I guess, was an episode they talked about all the songs that reference this folktale about Billy and Stagger Lee. And it was really interesting to hear, like, how it's completely transcended all genres of music in the last, like, 90 years. It's interesting. It's pretty crazy. But that show is pretty cool, too. It kind of inspired me a little bit for this show in the way we nice. the way we handle it. So it's actually pretty good. So I could dig it. Here's a clip of Staggerly by Pacific Gas and Electric. Oh, Mark, was What do you think of that? You win all my money now. You spit in my steps. Yeah, it's uh, funny that now that you mentioned that, Peter, about that podcast, kind of, this is a good example of songs, even in modern modern era, songs are being used to keep alive these old folk tales in a way that they're being retold by different artists. Well, yes, so that was from the, the film uh, Death Proof in 2007. Two years later, in 2009, we have the movie Inglorious Bastards, which was about a group of, I guess they were Jews, in World War II when they went and fought Nazis, and they eventually killed Hitler. Because the film was incredibly historically accurate. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, as, as we were saying, because Tarantino was so good at blunting genres, this was like his homage to the uh, war film of sorts. And it stars a lot of really famous actors, but most importantly, uh, the standout performance for the actor Christoph Waltz. Mm-hmm. He's a German actor, actually fairly famous in Germany as an actor before he uh, did this film. He plays uh, the Nazi officer Hans Landa, right. who is known as the Jew Hunter. Basically, he tries to track down and kill this group of... American Jew soldiers that are going around brutally murdering Nazis in very vicious, non-army-sanctioned ways. Well, I guess we might as well point out that most of Tarantino's movies are very... Very, very violent. Graphically violent. (laughs) In almost a humorous way sometimes. Yeah, it's a a shame. I I even watched um, an interview he gave recently about Django. Basically, the last 20 years, especially since Columbine, he has been like the poster child for violence in movies. Oh, man. Because that was the one thing that everyone blamed about why there's, like, so much violence and shootings and stuff in America. Uh, They're just like, Quentin Tarantino did it. That sucks. Even though, of his own admission and really common sense, like, his movies are, like, outrageously, ludicrously ultra-violent to the point of, like, complete fantasy. But, yeah, he's kind of unfortunately been uh, antagonized for that over over most of his career, really. I didn't know that. But I, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Because it's a war movie, it didn't really have a lot of uh, funk or solar R&B songs. Because for at least for the time period, there weren't those weren't around yet. But uh, <laughs> one song it did have is the song "Slaughter" by Billy Preston, which was actually originally a theme song for a black exploitation film called "Slaughter." That's true. Billy Preston is kind of a famous, I guess he's R&B funk uh, type of artist. And this song actually surprised me because it's very, it sounds very more of like a rock influence, because I think he actually did get into rock a little bit as well during the 70s. I've, I have heard other things by him, and this doesn't really sound that much like him in that same style, but it, it is a good song, so I figured it was worth playing, especially since, like you said, it was originally the theme song for our black exploitation movie, so uh, that seems to be a, a recurring thing with Tarantino movies and, the, and their music. Should we go ahead and listen to a clip of Slaughter? Like we should. Billy Preston? Let's do it. Don't you make him mean and cause he will show you who's the boss. Slap, 
Yeah, you're right. Definitely a bit more of a rock influence there. Yeah. Used in a good movie, so yeah. We are finally, after going through Tarantino's entire filmography, to his most recent film, which we just saw the other day on Friday. Uh, I think it came, yeah, it came out Christmas Day. But his film Django Unchained. Yeah. Django Unchained is basically a western starring Jamie Foxx and as we talked about earlier, Christoph Waltz, and their bounty hunters going after a group of evil men who work on plantations while also Game of Fox is getting vengeance in trying to find his enslaved wife. So it's like a Civil War slash Western slash exploitation slash action movie. Yes. Pretty cool. I have noticed of late, uh, it's pre- pretty much after Kill Bill, because as you were saying, Peter, a lot of his older movies have that sort of nonsensical dialogue that really, where they talk about nothing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of taken a backseat in his later films to just like awesome, grotesque action scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, yeah, Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained, all have that. And right. I think the plot feels more solid and not slow because of that. I mean, right. you know. At their core, all three of these movies are action movies, but he does a much better job of using dialogue to both flesh out the characters, but also advance the plot in meaningful ways. Right. But yeah, diving into some of the songs of the film, totally recommend that you guys go see it, by the way. It's still in theaters. Yeah. First song, I think that comes up in the movie that I thought was really cool, is the song Freedom by Anthony Hamilton and Alana Boynton. Couldn't find a lot of uh, info on Alana Boynton, unfortunately. She must be a pretty contemporary artist. But Anthony Hamilton is a little bit more uh, veteran. He's uh, still a contemporary R&B singer, but he's been around since like the early 2000s. And he rose to fame with his 2003 album, Coming From Where I'm Coming From. And actually at the 2008 BET Awards, he covered Al Green's Tired of Being Alone. Hmm. But he's a pretty good artist, and I really, really dig this song. Hmm. Fit the movie well, or fit the scene well in the movie, and it's just really, really cool and catchy. And I hope this guy goes on to do a lot more music, because I kind of investigated him after the fact, and he's got a lot of good stuff. I mean, it's it's got more of that contemporary R&B sound a la, you know, Seal and Don, John Legend and such, right. who we'll also mention. But I, I really dig his stuff, and he reminds me a lot of a young, or I guess maybe contemporary version of uh, Bill Withers. Hmm. That's cool. So Yeah, uh, let's listen to a little clip of Freedom, and you can judge for yourself. The other song, this is, I think, one of the last songs in the movie, but it's easily my favorite, is the song Who Did That to You by John Legend. Wait, is this it's, the song they play at the end? Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's the song they play at the end during his vengeance scene where he goes back and kills people. Which is basically the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, really. doesn't really spoil anything. <laughs> this is in the scene where he kills people, a.k.a. the whole movie. <laughs> But it's funny because Tarantino is really known, as you can see by his compendium of music, for using other artists' songs in movies rather than having them do songs tailored to his movies, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But in this rare exception, John Legend read the script for the movie and was so inspired that he wrote and produced a song specifically for the movie. He wasn't asked by Tarantino to do it. He just did it of his own volition. And in an interview that Tarantino gave, I think on BET, he said that John sent him a cassette of the song because Tarantino, despite being a filmmaker, is not very technologically savvy. <laughs> yeah, John Legend sent him a cassette of the song. He played it. He liked it. And he just decided to put it in his film. It's really one of the only, only songs 
written by any artist that was written specifically for Tarantino's film and not simply just a song that produced or written by an artist commercially that Tarantino decided to put in his film. It's kind of funny to think that he, because, yeah, that's a lot of work to produce a song like that. Right. And then to not even know whether it was going to be used for its own purpose. I can't make judgment, but uh, I can see him being inspired because one thing this film did and had and is doing, which I think is fantastic, is in this film, Tarantino shines a no-holds-barred light on just the complete gruesome absurdity of slavery in America. He doesn't pull the punches, so to say, in showing its brutality and nature mm-hmm. because it makes people so uncomfortable when they see this movie. kind of forces us to take a look back at this dark time in American history and just see just really how brutal it was because contemporary America, it's kind of been played down it's mm. either a necessary evil or just not as bad as it really was. This kind of gives us a glimpse in history. Exactly. So that may have been inspiration for John Legend in actually doing something and writing for this movie. I don't know, but it's a good song. And let's listen to a little clip of it. That was Who Did That To You by John Legend. If you're not familiar with John Legend's other work, he's a really good contemporary uh, soul artist. He's definitely done some good stuff. Really worth checking out if you're looking for good contemporary soul music. Yeah, we've played a few things from him before, especially his uh, collaboration with The Roots in that one album. Uh, right. Something, something. Wake Up. Thank you. One of the best contemporary artists, I think, in R&B right now, and really most respectable. So, final song we want to mention for this episode because we basically got about, what, at least a dozen songs now, uh, is the song Unchained. It's a mashup song uh, between James Brown and Tupac. Now, they didn't do this song together, which would be really awesome. I was wondering that when when, it, when you had written this down, saying no, James Brown and it's Tupac. Just a, it's a mashup <laughs> done by somebody else, just using these two, the sampling of these two songs. There are clips of lines from the movie, so I'm thinking maybe it was a promotional Mm. A promotional mashup done for the movie, and they used part of it in the movie. Yeah, um, that happens a lot. In, a, in, in this instance, it may have been like a song that they did a mashup of for one of the trailers. Mm. It's a good mashup. I don't know who did it. It didn't say on the uh, on the soundtrack. Disc. Does it just say it's by James Brown and Tupac? Yeah. Well, neither neither of them are alive anymore, right? Oh, oh no, James. So. Yeah, no, James Brown died. I think. Mm. Let's make sure because we always kill people. I'm like. Nine. Well, we know Tupac's dead. Yeah. Yes, you're no, lying. Still alive, you know it. You're a liar. He died in December. Oh, that's sad. He died on Christmas in 2006. Oh, so that wasn't that long ago. No. Well, you're talking about James Brown, right? Yes. <laughs> no, Tupac died in 2006. <laughs> no, yeah, he died. And came back as a hologram. This song "Unchained" is a mashup of Tupac's song "Untouchable" with James Brown's song off of his. It's his song's name is "Payback" off the same titled album, "Payback." Fun aside about the James Brown portion of the song, that album, "Payback," was actually meant to be the soundtrack for a black exploitation film called "Hell Up in Harlem," but was rejected by the director for not being funky enough. Is <laughs> like cool. the biggest insult to James Brown since he's basically yeah. the forefather of funk. Wow. It's funny though because. Even after that that instance, the album still went on to become to reach number one of the soul album charts and stayed there for four weeks. Hmm. So this director, God knows what he was thinking, but he is a dork and passed up on a good opportunity to have James Brown in his movie. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned Hell Up in Harlem, because yep. I've never seen it and I've never even heard of it, except when I was making my 
Android game this last summer, yeah. the temp music track that I ended up using for most of the development uh-huh. was a song from that movie, and the song was by Edwin Starr, oh. the guy who did War, What Is It Good For? So that's how I know that Hell Up in Harlem exists, is because of that. I have never actually seen it, though. That's pretty funny. Small world. I suppose. Yeah, let's listen to a little clip of Unchained by James Brown slash Tupac slash whoever did the mashup. Am I wrong? Cause I wanna get it on till I die. Am I wrong? Cause I wanna get it on till I die. Get it on till I die. Get it on till I die. Y'all, y'all remember me? Y'all, y'all remember me? The parts where the movie breaks out into into the song, into songs like this, are just hilarious because they're completely unexpected. Yeah, right. But. <laughs> It's just, it just makes it really awesome. Like, during, like, an action sequence, all of a sudden it just breaks out into this. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the best, the absolute best example of that is uh, there's a scene where Jamie Foxx's character just whips out two guns and starts killing a bunch of people in slow motion. And it's set to this uh, rap song by Rick Ross, which a rap song in a Western is, like, the absolute most hilarious thing you could ever imagine. <laughs> Yeah. To the point that, like, when we were in the theater, like, everyone just, like, busted out laughing for, like, a minute. Yeah. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, we, we encourage you to. And I don't think we've really spoiled anything because... Nope not. <laughs> yeah, the movie's called Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. The D is silent. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was... I love that part. Personally, personally, this is my opinion, and I've argued with people about this. I think, because a lot of people compare this to Inglorious Bastards because they were so close together. Mm-hmm. They were similar in their grandiose scope, and they both had Christoph Waltz. But I... <laughs> Personally, I think this movie was a lot better. Mm. Maybe just because of my own love of westerns slash black exploitation, but yeah. I definitely, especially Christoph Waltz's performance, and I think he uh, got nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes. This movie got nominated. It got nominated for Best Film this year, but Tarantino didn't get nominated for Best Director or Best Writer. Mm. I don't know how a film can get nominated for Best Film and then that director not be nominated for Best Director. It, it seems ludicrous, but. That's fine. Yeah. He won, uh, he didn't, I don't think he, he's never won Best Director, but he won Best Screenplay in, uh, for Pulp Fiction. Mm. So, which he should have. That film was really well written. Yeah, I don't think the Academy likes him very much as director. I don't know. He's really one of these people who plays by his own rules. He, he totally is. I can see how the Academy wouldn't like him at all. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't make good movies. Yeah, he's kind of one of those wild card kind of directors. But his movies are all the better for it. He doesn't confine himself to any one, like, genre or really even care what people think. He's just like, I'm just going to make a movie I like, and if other people like it, then fine. Yeah. So, good for him. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that has been our long compendium discussing the uh, soul, funk, and R&B music used in Quentin Tarantino's many, many movies. And we hope to to hear more of this music as he continues to make films in the future. So, do you got any... News from the void, Peter? Well, I have one bit of news. Yes. The cat is still in my lap, so... And she hasn't bitten me. Yay. So, I guess things have settled down. Great success. Katie doesn't like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Yay. This has been our 26th episode of Funk Radio. We hope you can join us next week for yet another installment. This has been your DJ host, Kyle. And this has been your host, Peter. Please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And or subscribe to us on iTunes. Because you love us. I guess that pretty much wraps things up. Um, yeah, see you next week and thank you for listening.
Bye, guys. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.